Hey everybody, uh, this is Dr. Chris Griffin, and uh, this is the second episode of season three, and as you guys know, we've gone to video now, so uh, when I thought about the best looking people that I've <laughs> on this podcast for the second episode of this season, I thought, you know what, Dr. Aaron Elliott and Dr. T-Bone from Raleigh, North Carolina, that's got to be the two best looking people I could think of to put on. So, <laughs> well, you might be right about the first part of it, but not, I don't know about me. <laughs> Uh, so welcome. Hey, uh, guys, I appreciate Aaron. Thanks for getting up so early out there in Idaho. And uh, T-Bone, thanks for showing up, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, we wouldn't miss I wouldn't miss it for the world. So I'm looking forward to causing trouble for you and having a good conversation. Well, yeah. Hey, that's good. Uh, I just I just don't make me do a lot of editing because I'm not rated for um, what do they call it? The, explicit. The, explicit. Yes. Explicit. I don't even know that. <laughs> Uh, this is T-Bone 2.0. I'm trying not to use curse words now. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, Aaron, hey, um, you have got a lot of cool stuff going up in Idaho. And T-Bone and I were talking about before you got here about, um, you know, I am sort of, I'm not anti-big practice uh, like associates and, and multi-practice, but I'm kind of not that guy. I'm not, I'm not your guy if that's what you want to do. That's not me. And T-Bone's kind of, you know, he's got some ideas about it. And you've done some cool stuff lately. So where do you stand on this whole issue of associates versus non-associates? Oh, well, I'm totally for associates. Um, I don't – I I do have a bigger practice here. There's definitely no motivation for me to go open another one. But what I have done recently is cut down to three days a week. And so as my partner and brought an associate, so we always have two doctors here. Uh, we did have to kiss a few frogs to find our prince or princess in this case, because we did find an associate that will be my future partner um, as my business partner uh, retires. So I, I absolutely love it. Uh, T-Bone and I do get into some discussions about uh, other efficiencies, but we can uh, table that for now. Chris, it's good to see you again. I don't think I've seen you since, um, man, the first time I ever spoke in front of a, any audience was at your conference. How long ago was that now? 2013, Aaron. Uh, wow. Hey, I, I look, and look, and so uh, – I have used that to my advantage since that day. So like when, when that's in my, in my intro, when I speak at uh, conferences now, that's like, and at the last sentence, and he launched the career. Of <laughs> well, yeah, 2013, it was a ton of fun. We, uh, you know, we had the band and everything. Uh, oh yeah. I was boogieing. You were, I tell you, man, let that girl get on the dance floor. She's, <laughs> Well, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, no, it, it was my pleasure. And um, I can't tell you, Aaron, I don't know, uh, since that day, I, uh, you have the most requests. Like when, you know, there were 200-something attendees there, and the most question I get from people that were there was, man, that blonde doctor talking about sleep stuff, she was really smart. <laughs> if they only knew. I surprise, I surprise people all the time with that. That's funny. 
Well, T-Bone, what have you got going on, man? I know you. your practice is bustling. I've seen people busting in your office behind you all morning. So, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, you know, my practice today is probably um, a polar opposite from where it was five, six years ago. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. And <clears throat> probably five, six years ago, I was probably in your mindset, Chris, uh, in the mindset of I want to be my, by myself. I wanted to you know, kind of control things. And what I was finding was it was holding me back from doing the types of dentistry that I was trained to do and the types of dentistry that I really wanted to do and wanted to get into because I didn't have enough time or enough free time. And I started this journey of uh, going down the road of associate and I've massively struggled and failed at it. Uh, it took me four or five before I finally got the right one. And that's like going on dates. Um, you know, you're going to go on, you may get lucky and go on a date the first time and find the person of your dreams. Uh, but more than likely, many of us and most of us have gone on dates and um, they've turned out to be not so good for us. And I, I finally reached a point where um, we're doing good. I mean, I had gotten to a point where I was like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go back to doing it the way I was doing it. And, um, and I'm so glad it worked out for me that uh, we're able to find somebody that really fits our culture because it's dramatically transformed uh, what I'm doing. And um, I'd love to go into it with you about those things. And uh, I think Erin is a good case in point of that. Uh, while she, she does talk about having a bigger practice, at the end of the day, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, she was two solo practices, just a partnership. And then um, now we're, you know, I'm trying to help her move towards uh, achieving some of her goals that she wants. And I think a lot of those things are done by having an associate in your practice. And um, I think it's important. I think as a profession, if we really want to fight uh, DSOs, um, we're going to have to have more private practice dentists have associates um, because otherwise there's got to be a place for the 5,000 graduating dentists every year to go work. So, um, you know, otherwise they're going to, as, as it stands, 60 to say 65% of them go work for DSOs today. And if there's less and less jobs out there and or dentists aren't really prepared to bring on associates, it's only going to make that number larger and larger, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on which side of the table you're on. Well, I, I've been, I graduated in 2003 and you know, I've I've had the opportunity and and blessing to listen to T Bone enough that it's finally got through this thick skull. But you know, I'm 15 years out, and I shouldn't be doing the same procedures I was doing as when I just graduated. So I'm on my implant journey. I'm placing implants. I've even um, graduated into you know things things that I should be. Um, taking on a more high level and our excuse I often hear it for sleep apnea too I hear every excuse in the book why it wouldn't work or why it didn't work and a lot of that is no time and that's because you're filling your time with pun intended a lot of fillings and things that are keeping you busy um, and things that your practice needs to do but I was sitting chairside and not developing my team and not um, educating myself. So 
having Dr. Harness here has not only allowed me to bring on more procedures, but it's also given me freedom uh, to do the travel and things like that, that I know my practice is getting taken care of. It's not all on me. And that's been one of the biggest blessings. Well, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, it seems to me like, I don't know, what percentage would you guys say of people have moved into um, the bigger, probably like doctor and associate now? Because like me and my me and my core group of friends from dental school from 1998 say there's 10 of us and none of us have, none of us have an associate. I guess that's yeah. odd. You know, it's interesting you say that, Chris, um, because I'm, I'm a 99 graduate from dental school and I, I consider us, uh, our generation, which would be basically from 95 to about 2005, I consider us the endangered species in dentistry. Um, we really have to probably change our games. Um, now, it's hard for me to say this to you, Chris, because you've changed your game and you have multiple streams of revenue coming in and you've diversified your personal life and professional life. But for the vast majority of dentists out there, their income is solely based on their practice. And you know, I, 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 I'll, I always try to explain this to people. If you're between the age of 35 and 50, somewhere in that ballpark, your challenge is, is that you grew up in a time where dentistry was a solo practice, uh, solopreneur, you know, drill, fill, bill, crown and bridge type practice where you, you did the main stuff and you farmed out all the things as specialists. And the challenge is that dentistry is massively changing. Uh, and the challenge for us that are 35 to 50 years old is that we have to, is that we have to, um, Sorry, the challenge for those of us that are 35 to 50 years old is, is that we have another 15 years and we can't afford a dwindling of our income. We can't afford a 1% decrease year over year um, like somebody that's 60 years old that says, hey, you know, I've just got to ride it out a few years. And what we're seeing is what took me 15 years or what took you 15 years or what took Aaron 15 years to develop clinically, these, these folks coming out of school are learning that and doing that in four or five years now. And and they're really our competition at the end of the day. And so we, we've got to change our game. And to me, learning non-traditional procedures, things like uh, implantology, orthodontics, things like sleep, things like sedation, things like bone grafting, things like, you know, we're starting a product called Healthy Start Now, uh, things, things along those lines, things that are very different um, are going to be the key to really surviving. And associates play a role in that because it allows you to free your, not just your physical time and your clinical time, but more importantly, your mental and leadership time to really be able to put the effort in. And the truth is, is if, if we look back, Chris, did you start your practice from scratch? Uh, one year out of school, yes. Yeah, okay. And, and so, so when you look back, the reason you were able to be successful was those formative years of the first few years when you had more time to be in a leadership position and to really kind of institute your vision onto your practice. And what happens is as we gain more income and as we kind of get a little bit more burned out, we go and learn new procedures. And then the challenge is we get back to the office and we're not injecting that time and leadership to really implement those procedures. Well, and one point you make too, uh, T-Bone, is that uh, PPOs don't care if you have 15 years experience or zero years experience. And 
you know, we're getting paid the same for the fillings mm -hmm. as someone just out of school. And I should be doing in the same amount of time a more rewarding, but also at a um, ex uh, more rewarding procedure, but also a better um, productive one. Well, you know, um, you said something, T-Bone, that, uh, that I, I had no idea you were going to say that, but um, I actually, uh, within the next month, have got a book coming out that addresses that whole problem of dentists that have gotten a little bit burnout and no longer uh, are present enough at the practice to impart their vision to the team. And so my solution for that is actually, I actually got a book and I've got that book coming out in a month. And it's interesting uh, that you said that because I also agree that is a, that is a problem that I see all the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just that our practices are busier. It's when you hit 35, typically most people are married. They have kids. The kids are starting to grow at 42. Now I have an eight year old, 10 year old, 12 year old, and I want to drop them to school and they have sports activities and, you know, and I want to be as present as I can be. And the truth is, is we're making enough. So why not be focused on what's going on in our, in our personal lives? And then what happens is we let what gave us a great personal life, we kind of let it get into cruise control. And I think cruise control is a dangerous position for dentists to be in or any, anybody to be in, to be quite honest with you. Anybody. And I'll tell you guys, uh, I don't know, Aaron, you, you probably knew, but my, you know, 2013, the practice, my practice burned down. Burned down. Yep. And so for 16 months, I'm not kidding. Uh, for 16 months, I, I thought that I, you know, before then I thought I was like a Superman. I thought I could do whatever didn't matter. I didn't have to sleep. You know, I could just push through whatever, but I'm going to tell you losing a lot of your practice base rebuilding a new office and fighting insurance companies for 16 months, man, that threw me into a funk and I could not focus. I couldn't do it the way I'd been doing it. And I am just now coming out of that. And um, when I came out of it, that's why I wrote the book because when I was in the funk, it was like the, the, the veil had been lifted all these years. I always had the Howard friend mentality. Like I would just tell these dentists, quit being a loser and just do it right just just get off your butt and do what you're supposed to do but then when I was in that funk I was like this is what they're talking about I can't focus I can't uh I can't make myself push forward I just I'm having a tough time so then we came up with a way to involve the team more to engage the team and then um it, it required some of my time but not nearly as much as it did before the fire and that's why I actually wrote the book was because I like, well, this is actually a pretty good way to engage your team. And maybe for people in my age group, like you said, um, we can, this may be a way that we can engage the team and still be a little bit distracted, like with the kids and everything else, and still get back to a really focused uh, practice where everybody knows what you want done. Um, so that is a, that was a huge problem. And I, it's funny you said that because I think we are at that age, right? Uh, my yeah. kids, my kids are 19, 17 and 15. And, um, so I'm, I'm hoping, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm it's not true. <laughs> well, okay. I'm hoping yeah, when the kids go, like when the daughter gets to college, I was hoping like, that's the thing. I'm like, I can accept all the speaking gigs I want and everything. Just once she gets to college, I won't feel guilty. Right. But, uh, right now it's tough. 
you know, my dad always jokingly says this to me. He says, uh, you, you cost me more now as a 40-year-old son uh, than ever before. And, uh, and I say, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, now you have, there's three of you, uh, you know, and, and I want to do for them what I wasn't able to do for you, and I want them to have the same experience with me. So he jokingly says that, you know. And, um, you know, Chris, I, the other thing I want to kind of talk about or bring up is, is, is team. And one of the challenges for dentists is cultivating team members. And, the, you know, as, as all of us travel the country, I always have surveys in my programs and I always ask what keeps people up at night. And without question, 80% of the time, the number one thing people talk about is, is their staff with their teams. And, you know, part of that solution is, is if you're like every other practice and that you provide the same services that every other practice provides, there's really no opportunity for team members to grow within your organization. And to me, that's another reason to start diversifying your practice by providing procedures like sleep, ortho, implantology, healthy start, all these other things that are out there. You know, whatever floats soft tissue surgery, whatever floats each other's boats is, is because then it's a new thing for your team members to learn. And it's something for them to say, hey, as I add this skill, I can earn more and I can be more involved. I can feel a more a level of proudness to be part of something different than, you know, sitting around sucking spit all day or being a hygienist, just cleaning teeth all day long or being a front office person and really just talking about the standard treatment plans or single tooth crowns and root canals and things like that. Just like we as dentists need some level of professional satisfaction the people around us need that growth and satisfaction as well. And that's one method of uh, maintaining and retaining great people. So not only do they get professional satisfaction, but if they are actually help, helping produce, you know, a, with a different procedure and they're actually bringing income and, and revenue, then maybe that'll give them an opportunity to get paid more too. You know, for example, my assistant was, uh, she said, I'm, I'm all, I think I'm going to hit my goal for the year. And my assistant is going to produce $300,000 for our practice in sleep appliances this year. And so, you know, and that's something two years ago, she wasn't doing anything of. And the only way we were able to get her there was by, by us growing into those procedures. And, and when I hear dentists say to me, well, it didn't work in my practice, I, I want to strangle them, to be honest with you. <laughs> Because I know for a fact, that, like I would say to you, Chris, in Mississippi, there are more obese people there than in Idaho, right? Right. And we know that roughly 60 to 70 percent of obese people have obstructive sleep apnea. And so we know that the patients exist. The difference is, is we are stuck in doing traditional dentistry. Our team members are stuck in that mindset as well. And that's really what that's really what separates practices that are dabbling in it and practices that are doing it is that leadership to get team members on board uh, to doing more of it. Well, T-Bone, you, you hit the nail. I mean, hey, look, I still fight my assistants almost every day because they would rather take uh, vinyl poly siloxane oh. impressions than use our Cyric. Yeah, that's crazy talk. Well, I'm telling you, throw, throw it away. It's because you're giving them an option. <laughs> well, throw it away. You're so busy. I'm like, I'll, I'll be like prepping the tooth. I'm like, 
why are those guns in here? Yeah. In Texas, that would mean something different. <laughs> well, Mississippi too, probably. But uh, yeah. So what? Well, he said sleep, and oh, man, that's awesome. Three hundred thousand. That's great. Uh, that's really. Good. And then that's a low number compared to Aaron. So. <laughs> well, I, was I wasn't going to say anything. In 2013, Aaron was only doing a little over a hundred thousand a year in appliances, right? Yeah. She said that from my stage. So, so tell us about your growth in that area, Erin. Um, well, a lot of it was taking on, um, in, you know, medical insurance, but you know, there's a few things I did, but one of the most important things is completely freeing up an assistant. Um, and that's her one and only job. So, um, not only do, does she have ownership over it so that I'm not spending all my time managing and organizing it, but she gets the team to help feed the patients as well. <laughs> he has a lot of people taking care of him. Uh, but having the, as Tebow calls a, a sleep champion really, really helps in and she actually is a new mama, so she's only doing this on three days a week. And I, as far as seeing patients and managing that, so we're doing good. I know. If this blonde girl can do it in Post Falls, Idaho, anyone can do it. But the biggest key is getting that one team member to have the ownership over it. And I'm certainly a part of it, but she, she does 90% of the work. You know, Chris, um, I want to take a step back. Okay. And look, we all sell something, okay? Whether it's dentistry in our practices, whether it's courses that we want to help dentists with, whether it's online training, whether it's remote training, whether it's books, whatever it is, we all sell something. What I, what I try to get people to understand is, is you have to know why you're taking something and what pain you're having that takes you down this path. And so for me, five years, six years ago, six or seven years ago, my practice did nothing other than restorative dentistry. That's all we did, you know, and, and today, me personally, that is the least thing I do in my practice. And that has come about by leveraging and investing in education and understanding that to implement that education that I've taken, I've got to do a couple of three things. One is I got to learn with intention on my end. Number two, I have got to get my team involved in that education. And number three, I've got to have them be part of the action plan and ownership of making sure that works. And by, by focusing on those three things and making sure that what we choose for education has those three components, it leads you down a path to success. Now, oftentimes the dentist gets in the way, but um, you know, I can't help that. You know, all I can do is try to help them learn, help them encourage them to bring their team and make sure that we set aside time with the action plan for what's gonna happen day one and help the team members and the dentist set realistic goals of what's really possible in the practice. And one thing that people like me and Aaron and yourself as well, Chris, we have to be careful about throwing these numbers out there because they're not overnight successes. We, I didn't get to where we, are, where we are right now in sleep overnight. I didn't get to where we are with implants overnight. 
neither did Aaron. We started one or two appliances at a time, and we saw we, we went with intention, and we took a word that most people forget about, and that word is risk, R-I-S-K. We took the risk of investing time in education, and what I did was I invested in a team member to take them out of being a chairside assistant and said, hey, for six months, let's try just having you focused on mainly this one topic and let's see where we can take it. You know, like starting a business and I put capital funding into it, working capital into that quote unquote department in our practice. And I said, let's see where this takes us. And I was committed to it for the, lo- for the short, long term, you know, medium term haul. It wasn't, hey, we're going to do it for a month and see what happens. It was, let's give it six months. I think months. six months is a, is a fair amount of time to grow and develop that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as what it takes in sleep apnea. So six months is... Chris, what if I told you in the last six, seven years, my practice has almost tripled, not quite tripled, two and a half X, but yet we have no more hygiene than we used to have. Oh, uh, you had to add in a bunch of other procedures. We gotta add in more procedures, right? And the challenge in adding in procedures, and let's say I work less than I've ever worked. They've got to be worth more money. They got to be worth more money. I'm and I'm working out of one operatory with one assistant. So it's just what what I'm after, and everything. Everybody's different, okay? What I'm after is the dentist that wants to do the dentist that wants to be different. That just wants to be. Hey, you know what? I want to build a sustainable business. For example, I've been I've been in and out of my office for the last three months. Uh, with a family medical emergency. Maybe I've worked three, three and a half weeks in the last three or four months. And for most dentists, they either wouldn't have that option and choice or it would put them under or in a severe hole. And for me, it's not that I made, I'm not saying I made money while I was gone. I can tell you this, I didn't lose money and my practice maintained that everything was was continuing to move forward. And to me, that's that's what I'm seeing in the last five years. It's not, hey, I'm doing more sleep or, hey, I'm doing more implants. Hey, I'm doing all these things. I'm seeing, I'm starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel where, you know what, I can work less and I can let worry less about my practice. And it's not an overnight thing. It doesn't happen in six months. It doesn't happen in 12 months. It takes time to make it happen, but you've got to, you've got to have things on the shelf that you can provide your patients uh, that that you didn't have before. That that's one of the first stepping parts. To- well, and there's always this focus on new patients, new patients. How do you attract new patients? Or even in sleep, how do you um, how do you get patients? How do you work with physicians and get their referrals? Well, you kind of have to earn the right to get those referrals first. And if you just look within your own four walls, you have patients sitting there that need implants and ortho and sleep. You're I'll just make this bet. Aaron, six months ago, how many implants were you personally doing? What is, um, I had done two. Your whole career? Yes. I'll make a bet in 2019, Aaron will place 50 to 60 implants easily. And so, see, what I look at is, is and then, then this, here's the second question I want to ask somebody is if, and, and when I, when I'm doing my talks everywhere, I always ask people, how many of you love doing fillings? And very few people raise their hands, correct? Like Chris, do you love doing fillings? Uh, no. No, right? Now, some of us are lucky we can have expanded functions that do that stuff, but you know, for, 
essentially 40 of the states, we can't do that. Um, so I always say, why do you continue to do it? And the answer is we have to create the revenue, correct? And we have to have patients that need that patients service. need them. The patients need them. them. We're not trying to get rid of them. Absolutely not. But I always look at it. I look at Aaron, for example. Let's say we and I just set your goal for you, by the way, Aaron. Yeah. I let's say is uh, <laughs> is uh, if we do fifty implants, that's roughly one hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty thousand dollars in revenue. And what you have to know is what does that revenue get you? Is it that you're in a position where you need more money? That's one thing. Is it in a position where you just want to be more satisfied? That's one thing. Or are you in a position where you need more time? Because Erin has teenager kids and she needs more time and she wants to pursue her, you know, her speaking career. Or Chris, you want to pursue your speaking career, whatever it may be. And I always look at it and I say, if you don't want to do fillings, the first thing you got to know is how much revenue does that represent of your practice? And very few dentists can answer the question, is if I hate doing something so much, how much in revenue is that? Is it 150, is it 200, is it $300,000 in revenue? And the first step to get rid of, getting rid of any procedure you don't like is knowing the revenue amount and then finding something to replace that revenue in your practice because at the end of the day, we all have to produce to sustain our lives and sustain our lifestyle. Uh, so for me, you know, when Aaron says, when I say 50 implants for her, that's probably, quite frankly, a thousand fillings she doesn't have to do next year. Well, I'm all right. for that. <laughs> now, now, of course, uh, Aaron hit the nail on the head, too. I mean, like for me, uh, I, I, the way I get through the day of doing a bunch of fillings is uh, I just know I, I, I like these patients. I don't want them to go somewhere else, and I don't have an associate. So I've just kind of got to suck it up and do that and uh, so that I can do the ortho and the implants and the appliances. Yeah, but Chris, well, you're an outlier to a certain degree, right? You're, you're like a superstar. You're, you're unbelievably efficient. You're unbelievably business-minded. You're unbelievably all those things. Most Many dentists aren't these things. And if they are, they use that as an excuse of not being able to accomplish these things. I'm no Chris Griffin. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure nobody says that, but uh, <laughs> a bunch of dentists, it is peculiar. Um, there, you know, would you believe that there are dentists that would pay me uh, what I would say a handsome sum of money to give them a, a plan and um, you touch base with them in 30 days and um, they've done nothing. They've done nothing. What's the deal with that? Can you guys answer that for me? Because that is one of my big struggles. I, I, I hate that. I mean, I just want to yell at them or we can't yell at I them. Think, I think dentists think of all the what ifs or the things that could go wrong and not the things that could go right. And I know for a long time, I'm, I'm like, I just don't have time. I don't have time. I need to schedule out time, a non-production time in order to make me more productive. Um, and they're so busy doing fillings and all the, the things that dentists know it's the things we know that we're familiar with and we're so busy doing those things that aren't even reimbursed that well to give us the opportunity to grow. Well, yeah, one of the things that, uh, and, and one of the things I put in my book was if you could just take one hour a week and set aside away from patients and you and your staff, you don't even have to be there the whole hour. You're there like you know, it's a team, not staff, just so you know. I was waiting for that. 
<laughs> I know. Actually, you know what? In my book, I actually uh, put word search on staff and went in and changed it to team because I knew that. But I'm, I'm, I'm of that era. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Uh, if you could just take one hour a week and just work on the practice and get everybody on the same page weekly, that would – I've never seen a practice that did that, take that one hour a week, go down in production – uh, you know, from 40 to 39 hours or 36 to 35 or 30 to 29. I've never seen anybody actually go down and took a week away. But, boy, it's a struggle to get dentists to actually do that. And I think also they're trying to do it themselves. I know if I can just get out of my way and empower someone else to do it, um, oftentimes that peer pressure and accountability helps as well. You know, I would, uh, I would have a different take on that, Chris than what you just said. And premise-wise, we're in the same place, okay? But what I would say is, one of the challenges is scheduling time. Because we always schedule a time at lunchtime, at the end of the day, or when we don't have patience. And that shit never, excuse my language, that stuff never happens, okay? Those things never come around, okay? Something, we have an emergency, we have this, we have that. And so that's what we were running into. And, and so what I said was, I said, listen, organization and being punctual isn't my forte. So what I did was I turned it around on the team members and I said, listen, if we want to maintain a good relationship, if we want to grow, if we want to see our practices grow, if we want to see each other, excuse me, if we want to see each other grow personally and professionally, we've got to find organic time where you just come and sit with me or I come and sit with you. And we have a, I don't want to call it a rule, but we have a general thing that every week I will sit with each team member, unplanned, unscheduled. Whenever I have time, they know, they know where I'm at all the time, correct? I don't know where they're at. And they will come sit with me for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and we can talk about things, we can knock things out, the onus on them to do that instead of having these group team meetings well we still have some of those but instead of having group team meetings where it turns into a bitch session or it turns into a lot of talking in circles and too many chiefs and the cooks in the kitchen and stuff like that i try to sit with people one-on-one to ask them where they want to get to what's going on in their life how would you do things differently if this were your practice what should i be aware of from your side of things and then i try to sit with a departments front office department hygiene department, clinical department. I try to sit with them at lunchtime or take them to lunch as a group, just them, so I can focus on those. And then once a month, we have our team monthly meeting. And the best thing I did on that was I went from doing it at lunchtime to doing it at 7.30 in the morning. From 7.30 to 9 o'clock, I took an hour production off because those lunch meetings turned into 15 to 20 minutes because somebody was running late. I got a patient at two. I got to get the room cleaned up. I got to get sterilization going. I got to eat. And then they were unhappy that I was taking away their eating time. Not that any of us really need to eat very much. <laughs> no, I, you know, uh, you know, you remind me a lot. Have you ever read the book, The Exceptional Dental Practice from Bill Dickerson? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So, yeah, you sound a lot like, like what he was trying to get at in that book. Of course, he was talking about, you know, the, the cosmetic dental practice, of course, that's come and gone. But what it's a lot of the concepts were really good. It was a really good book. Uh, I don't think it got enough play. No, why? Because he's a polarizing figure. um chris i i was also thinking that you know what when i hear excuses as to why they can't bring in an associate 
um, I've seen it when T-Bone speaks, like they said, well, I don't have space. I don't have room. Uh, when I build a new building, I can have this opportunity. And you have the opportunity now to do so. You're just not utilizing the space to the um, potential. Right, T-Bone? You're right. I mean, listen, most of us open 32 hours a week. And there's the equivalent of roughly 80 hours, 80, 90 hours of reasonable open times per day, per week. So we're really only utilizing our facility 40% of the time. And uh, so I, I don't think any of us need offices that are bigger than most of us don't need offices that are bigger than six or seven operatories. We can run two or three dentists out of that. We can run a great business where everybody does the type of dentistry that they want. And, you know, another thing I wanted to point, touch on, and this was a fear I had. I mean, this was a major fear for me. I built, bought, sorry, I started and built my practice for it to be about my personality. And my fear was that when I grow my team beyond four or five people, when I bring in another dentist, that the, my office was no longer going to be that comfy, cozy practice that it was. It was some, suddenly going to be this clinic or mill or this quote unquote business uh, where it's not about patients. And what I found is it's been the absolute opposite. It still has my personality because we vision and lead the practice to where we want to get to. But now we're able to serve more people because some patients don't like my personality, but they like Dr. Leedy's personality. Or some patients don't like Dr. Leedy's personality, but they like my personality. It's usually the opposite, but um, but and but it still stays that small group, small family atmosphere because we that was important to me. So growing bigger doesn't mean that you lose that personality or that personal feel uh, that you got. So, Chris, do you know what else I had to get over? Was no one can take care of my patients like I can. And there is still some resistance to see our um, new associate, but she she's a tall blonde and very nice. Actually, I would argue nicer than me because she's Canadian, so that automatically makes her nicer. But it, it's funny. She, she happens to be a fantastic dentist, but after a patient meets her and I introduce her to everyone, I go in into the room with her so I can introduce a patient to her. Um, they're always, when she walks away, they're always like, she's so nice. And they automatically like her. It, to me, I think it's hilarious that that's how people judge if someone's a good dentist or not. <laughs> she happens to be a good dentist. It's 85% how you make them feel. Yes, exactly. For me, right? So <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, and some, she has confidence and all that stuff too. But um, it, it's been an easy transition for patients, and I didn't always have that with the other associates, where the team was behind them, and so Dr. Harness's schedule is getting full, so that it frees up my time to do the procedure. So I'm not doing these little buckle pits and and things like that. Um, but those patients are still getting taken care of. Yeah, but it, there was that hesitancy from the patients 
And so we had to change our verbiage. And then there was a hesitancy, but I'm like, oh, but this is my favorite patient. Oh, this is the someone I know from church. And um, I've had to let go of a lot of that. And I fully prepared my ego for my team and my patients to like her better. And there has been some of that. And I'm you keep okay. telling yourself that it's, win. it's win-win. <laughs> you know, Chris, we haven't we haven't touched on medical billing as another source of revenue. You know, um, I, I want to I want your listeners and your fans to really um, take heed of something in our conversation. We haven't really mentioned the word marketing and new patients and anything we've talked about yet. And and I'm a firm believer that there's so much dentistry within your walls, not just in your unscheduled treatment plans but in your undiagnosed dentistry because you don't have the tools in your tool belt. And another area that we saw that was just massive for us was leveraging medical insurance to help uh, reimbursement because oftentimes the reimbursement from medical insurance is higher than dental insurance. It leaves that, uh, that $1,500 maximum alone because we're leveraging medical insurance instead of dental insurance. And it's paying for things in uh, that dentistry just doesn't pay for, like bone grafts, granulation removal, exams, follow-up exams, third exams per year, fourth exams per year. And, you know, to me, that's, that's the main reason that we started our training programs was to help dentists see and do things that, that they already in their practice, what I call just free money, things that are just laying around. Like I, I would argue that the average general practice in this country sees two to three sleep apnea patients per day, two to three of which they just let walk through their office and never even mention it to them. They probably, they probably have about four or five orthodontic candidates walk through their practice every single day. They probably have four or five implant candidates walk through their practice every single day. They probably have five to seven medical insurance claims walk through their practice every single day. And we're just not leveraging or tackling that. And, and that's really what a lot of our training programs are, is about tackling that. And more importantly, it's about leveraging our team members to tackle all of these things. And, and technology, we, we, you know, <clears throat> to go through this conversation and not mention how, mo- how important technology is in achieving this uh, would, would be uh, wrong of us. Technology, you know, I make this statement all the time. Technology should not cost any money. Technology should always easily pay for itself. You have to make the capital outlay and the risk, but it should always easily pay for itself. Uh, just in the better dentistry you do, in the efficiencies that it creates and be able to do dentistry faster, and in the ability to diagnose and do dentistry you weren't doing before. Um, it, it really, and in how it leverages your team members to grow. Uh, technology is massively important in our practice. Chris, I wish you could uh, see me speak now to see how I've grown. But, you know, when I, I had this two-day course and I, I had all the – every science and research and study and, you know, when you're taking a bite, I, I presented all the ways so that you could decide what you wanted. And the way that T-Bone has helped me is to really cut through all of that BS and really focus on workflow and implementation. Uh, I still probably give way too much science, more science than T-Bone would like. But you have to. Um, <laughs> but I that's what I love about partnering with him and, and he is constantly pushing me to, to be better, but I get to present the, 
the science and, and everything that I've learned, but really focus in on what is going to work in your practice Monday morning. And I think you do that across all of your uh, courses that you do at 3D. So 3D Dentist, you teach um, digital workflow with implants and integrating the cone beam and the CEREC and utilizing it to its potential. I hear so people investing in this technology and then not using it. Um, or, or basically using it, using it just enough to justify yeah. its existence. But it not only increases efficiency, but it makes me a better dentist. And I would be sick to my stomach if I invested and never used it. For example, we just visited a dentist that was taking cone beams just on implant patients. Well, those are the patients that, like you said to you, that have expressed interest. What about all the ones that don't even know that they're a candidate? And utilizing the medical insurance to bill that out so that you can save the very limited dental benefits for actual dental work. And so there's just a lot of things that I think dentists are missing out on because of the unknown, the excuse of it's not going to work in my practice, um, getting in their own way, essentially. Well, that's one thing that our profession is really good at is getting in yeah. their own way. I think human beings are good at that. Well, probably so. I think we're just lucky enough to be in professions where we're successful despite ourselves. And, and I really believe dentistry is an amazing profession. Uh, I mean, look, it's allowed a, a person who has, no, who has no verbal filter like myself to be successful. It's allowed someone like you that's all shucks, you know, to be successful. And, and, and that's blonde. It's allowed a dumb blonde to be successful. I'm kidding. I don't want to say that. But. No. <laughs> and, but more importantly, each one of us has a completely unique vision of what our practice should be and want, want it to be. And that's why I love dentistry so much. It is really about what we want it to be and not, you know, it drives me nuts. It drives me completely nuts uh, when I see people on social media trying to be something or trying to say, I want to be like that. I'm like, well, why do you want to, you got to know what you want or who you want to be before you try to be somebody else. Go spend a day in their shoes, spend a week in their shoes and see if you like that life. You know, when people say to me, I want to speak, I'm like, maybe you don't, man. It's, it's hard. It's, oh. it's tough on your family life. Don't you No, Yeah. No kidding, man. I, uh, I, yeah, you be careful what you wish for. Yeah. People say they want to do stuff like that until they know what actually is involved. Uh, yeah. but Hey, let me ask you a question. So social media, and this is something I struggle with. I mean, I'm such, such a terrible introvert in real life, but it looks like the trend is headed towards you've just got it like this, like I'm doing video podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. You got to get out there more, but I mean, what, how, how have you seen social media kind of affect dentists out there well i'll talk about the positives okay um i i will say the original social media for dentistry was dental town uh, back in 2000 2001 you know we think of social media as, fa as facebook instagram twitter linkedin all of these things but the original one was dental town and what it did for me on a very positive end is, and, and, and that this applies across the board to all social media, is it allowed me to see what was possible. It allowed me to see different ways of doing things. It allowed me to be exposed to different techniques, different products, different clinical materials that I probably never would have been exposed to because I probably never would have never left my bubble. So on a positive end, 
that's what it's done. On the negative end, it's all about the look how great I am and look what I'm doing. And look, I'm just as guilty as many other people of doing that. But you know, that, that to me is the negative of social media. It's, um, it's, a, it's an area that me and my wife want to kind of start talking about is, as a psychiatrist, my wife's a psychiatrist, we want to talk about the mental aspect of being a dentist, being a business owner, being a clinician, being a family person and the toll that it takes on you. You know, and, and you know, social media does not help in those areas at all. But a lot of that is internal. You have to want to be happy and you have to be wanting to be comfortable with who you are. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's how I look at social media. Chris, there's like, I see some of these photos and I'm like, I will never be able to attain that. I am a regular old dentist. And so it's like, I'm just not even going to take photos because I can't compare to that. Um, but I'm still going to do good dentistry for my patients but I'm intimidated in sharing that. Uh, but I think we can all learn from each other. The positive of social media for me is I feel like I have all of these comrades and all of these friends that I've never even met in person yet. But I feel like they are my, my friends. It, and we go through dental school with how many other people, and then we get out and we're on our own. And I love the community of people that understand what we go through that are in the trenches with us. And locally, oftentimes there's this little bit of competitiveness, I would say, but I, I try to break through that because I love um, camaraderie and I love community. Well, look, all three of us would never have met each other if it wasn't for social media, you know, and, uh, and, and so you got to look at the positives of it and, and certainly the negatives come with it. And, and, you know, for me, the, the real thing now is, and it's hard for me to accept and, I try, I try not to be that old guy that, that I used to make fun of when I was a 25-year-old dentist, you know, starting on the stage. And I try not, I'm trying not to be that person. But you see so many people that are faking it and that are pretending to be something they're not. And, uh, you know, that bothers me a little bit. But, you know, I just try to keep my mouth shut and just keep doing my business. And, uh, you know, time will take care of all of those things. You're right. I mean, that's exactly how I feel. It is a little bit, I think, of course, I, you know, who am I to say that I know more than anybody else, but uh, when you see, when you see people and they try to just put the best light possible on their life all the time, and that's all you see on social media. You're just like, man, that is uh, you're headed for disaster eventually. Cause nobody can, nobody, nobody can live up to that. It's, it's unrealistic. So, uh, but you guys are, you guys keep it real about as well as anybody. Those, well, thank uh, you. You know, my kids, my kids and my wife make me do that. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, hey, you guys have been on. Basically, I've kept you all morning. So uh, I, before we leave, I definitely want to give you guys a big plug for your courses because uh, you guys are doing amazing stuff. Listen, after the fire, I kind of quit doing big courses. So I'm, I'm all for people that do it because I know how much work it is. Uh, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So, uh, well, you know, I, I, I was new to this whole CE thing. And um, my first course I ever did with T-Bone, I met him on a Thursday afternoon in real life. And then he flew to New Jersey and left me the first day all by myself with this full course. Um, so I didn't really know what I was walking into. But saying that, he has this training facility up above his office. And it's 
pretty nice, but the experience, you, we usually get to go to his house for dinner and you interact on this human level. It, it really is about community. Um, uh, you know, of course, education is foremost, but I just, I just love the experience every single time. And I know he does that for all of his courses across the board. Uh, we have taken our course on the road too. We're headed to the West Coast here and um, we still get that more intimate community type feel. But the most, like I said, the biggest thing I can say about T-Bone is the practical, um, implementable focus that that he has, which is unlike any other courses I've been to. You know, the thing, thank you, Aaron. Uh, the thing I'm most proud of, Chris, is that at the end of the day, I, I should be doing the least amount of teaching at my classes. It should be uh, people like Aaron, like Sully, like Hutan, like John, doing a lot of the teaching. But but beyond them, to me, the most important part, the most important instructors in our classes are my team members. Every class we do has team members there that interact with the doctors, that interact with the team members, that really take them downstairs and show them this is what we're doing in real life. This is how we're going. These are the struggles that we have. These are the struggles that we're going through. And to be able to see a real office and go through the office, pick through the drawers, see what materials we're really using, you know, all of those things, to me, it's, it's an open book. You know, I'm confident in what we're doing is to be pretty good and pretty right. Uh, but I'm also confident enough to know that we can learn along the way. And so if dentists are Cone beam and CEREC owners, we provide wonderful CEREC training. We provide wonderful cone beam training. I would argue that our cone beam and CEREC training is some of the best in the country. For doctors that aren't owners and that want to learn sleep apnea, we have Aaron and myself doing training programs. For people that want to learn medical billing, whether they have technology or don't have technology, for people that we have medical billing training, for people that want to learn sedation and provide oral safe oral sedation for their patients, we have that training. Now, ultimately, the training program is, it's really what we do in the practice. It's nothing more. It's, it's the, the growth pattern we've seen in the office, what's allowed us to grow in our practice, and that's what we're just bringing to a practical real-life flow. So if anybody wants to learn information about it, they can visit uh, 3D-dentists.com. You can find me and Aaron and our other instructors on all over Facebook, all over Instagram. More recently, I'm on there and on LinkedIn as well. And, um, <clears throat> and then, of course, we have our podcast, T-Bone Speaks, and we have our Wednesday mornings where me and Aaron uh, kind of goof off in our, in our cars, uh, 4.30 in the morning for her, 7.30 in the morning for me uh, every Wednesday. And uh, I think the biggest thing too, Chris, that I'd like to point out and leave you with this is T-Bone doesn't have to, we don't have to sell anything. Um, I, the sleep course that we do, the, the, we're supposed to get away with, from calling it sleep 101, sleep apnea implementation. You don't need to own one piece of technology. I treated sleep apnea for eight years before I got a cone beam. And I, I got cone beam for all my other general dentistry staff. So you don't need to own cone beam. Um, bring, bring a team member is the biggest thing I can tell you. Don't come if you don't bring a team member, basically. And, right. and you don't you're not going to be sold a bag of goods that we have no skin in the game except to make you as successful as you can be. Well, okay. I'll, uh, I'll take your word for it. I like sleep one Oh one. Okay. T-bone. You don't like that name. I do like it too. It's just some people feel that they're beyond one one because yeah, they, 
watched a YouTube video. Well, and people that have taken a course think that they need something more advanced, but really what they need is the practical workflow that we can provide to the team members as well. Even if yep. they know it all, it is an awesome place to start. The sleep seat, go ahead. I was going to say, I would come to your course if you called it sleep pre-K. Yeah, pre-K, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting on the sleep side of things. Uh, that's new to me for the last two or three years from an education side of things. I have never seen this in any other field where there's so much education out there and the education only dissuades you from providing the service because they make it complicated. They tell you all the things that are gonna go wrong and they tell you how much trouble you'll get in if you don't do it the quote unquote the right way. And then when you ask people what the right way is, no one can tell you what <laughs> is the right way. Or if someone tells you the right way, one person says this and another person says that, and it just makes you throw up your hands and say, I'll just continue to do what I've been doing. And which so, is nothing. <laughs> which is nothing, right? And yeah. so for us, that was for me, that was the number one thing with sleep was I wanted to show people how we went from zero to doing what we're doing today and in a in a span of essentially three years is is where we've gotten there. And um so yeah, that's that's our goal. Well, more power to you, my man. You are doing a heck of a good job. Thank you, so, Chris. You're doing great, too. I don't know how you get anywhere without flying, though, but that's a different story. It is, uh, it is a tricky deal. It just gives me – I'm like John Madden. Oh, only uh, the kids listening don't even know who that is, but I'm, I'm the John Madden of our – Oh, team. they all know John Madden football. Yeah. Oh, that's right. From video games. They don't know he took the bus everywhere, but uh, – all right, so we'll we'll wrap this thing up. We could talk all day, uh, but you guys are awesome. Three D dash dentist dot com. Three D dash dentist dot com. Go sign up. Heck, guys, two thousand nineteen. Uh, I might even try to. You should come up. Come up as our guest, Chris. We'd love to have you. All right, it's not that bad of a drive for you. <laughs> That's right. We'll right, drug guys. you and fly you up here. Oh, <laughs> we'll see. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next Take time. Take care, Chris. All right. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Dr. Chris Griffin Show. Be sure to visit drchrisgriffin.com for the latest resources and updates to keep you more productive every single day you're at the practice. So when you're not working, you can do the things that matter most in life. We look forward to having you join us for another episode of the Chris Griffin Show, where the doctor is always in.